mockery rocks just because. You know, I believe in the people who understand the English language, but at my house, I'm finding out that people are particularly bright if they are bilingual. My son, Rocky. And now I, Patrick Boggs, focus on Charlie. Charlie Savage, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, is a Washington correspondent for the New York Times. And what I do when I read to you is try to say that not everybody has the most important story. Maybe Charlie has it. He says, newly disclosed documents have shed a crack of light on secret executive branch plans for apocalyptic scenarios like the aftermath of a nuclear attack. When the president, whoever he may be, may activate wartime powers for national security emergencies. Until now, public knowledge of what the government puts into those classified directives which invoke emergency and wartime powers granted by Congress or otherwise claimed by presidents has been limited to declassified descriptions of those developed in the early Cold War. Anybody remember the Cold War? You had to fight through the snow to get to school. No, it wasn't about that. In that era, they included steps like imposing martial law, rounding up people deemed dangerous, and censoring news. It has not been clear what is in the updated or more modern directives known as presidential emergency action documents because under administrations of both parties, none have been made public or even shown to Congress. But the newly disclosed documents which relate to the George W. Bush administration's efforts to revise the draft orders after the attacks of September 11th, 2001, offer clues. Several of the files provided to the New York Times by the Brennan Center for Justice shows that the Bush-era effort partly focused on a law that permits the president to take over or shut down communications networks in wartime. 
I personally interject here that wartime would have to mean after actually declaring war. Uh, the thing about martial law suggests the government may have developed or revised such an order in light of the explosive growth in the 1990s of the consumer internet. We say consumer internet, I interject here, because the original internet was controlled by and used by the U.S. Defense Department. The newly disclosed documents show that there were 48 of the directives when the Bush administration took office in 2008. That number had grown to 56. Vice President Dick Cheney's office was involved in reviewing and clearing the orders. The documents do not indicate any consultation with Congress. Several Bush administration officials whose names were not mentioned in the documents speaking on background, which is a new way to use the word background, to discuss matters that remain classified, portrayed the effort as a bureaucratic good housekeeping. It seemed prudent as the government reoriented to focus on national security after the September 11th crash bang thing. The Brennan Center for Justice, which has gathered materials about the presidential emergency action documents obtained the files under the Freedom of Information Act from the Bush Presidential Library. The disclosures constituted about 500 pages, while about 6,000 more pages were withheld as classified. The disclosures come after the House passed a bill in December that would impose significant curbs on executive power after the Trump years, including provisions that would require disclosure of the emergency action documents to congressional overseers. That little piece of legislation called the Protecting Our Democracy Act is not expected to pass the Senate where Republicans can block it with a filibuster. Republicans love the filibuster, but advocates of imposing some limits on presidential emergency powers with some bipartisan support, are discussing trying later this year to attach a portion of that to an annual Defense Authorization Act that is considered must-pass 
legislation. You might wonder what else is on my mind. The other thing on my mind is something that I cannot wrap my mind around. It's the crypto thing. Cryptocurrency crashing is not at all the same as the stock market crashing. The cryptocurrency thing is, to my way of thinking, sort of imaginary money. The people who wrote about it are Alexander Gladstone, Soma, Biswas, uh, and uh, Nathan Becker, and I approach it with some trepidation because I got it from the Wall Street Journal, and as soon as I put in my password and bring it up and start to copy it to talk to you about, they say only for personal use, not for any commercial use. So it might be all right if, which is true at this moment, people are not paying for Mockery rocks. You want to pay for it, you can go to Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot C-O-M slash R-O-C-K-S-O-F-M-O-C-K-E-R-Y. But now, as I quote a part of the piece... As of 5 p.m. Tuesday, which is two days before the recording of this rock of mockery, this podcast, Bitcoin traded at 21,991.89, which was down 5.4% for that day and 68% below its all-time high. And then something spelled D. O-G-E-C-O-I-N, Dogecoin or Dogcoin? What is that? A cryptocurrency that was started as a joke but became established enough to be mentioned by Elon Musk on NBC's Saturday Night Live. Peaked at 67.4 cents in May 2021 and has crashed by 92% recently. And then there is another cryptocurrency, Coinbase. And the number of Coinbase's transacting users slid And the company said it expected trading volumes and users to drop again in the second quarter. Since the earnings report, things have gotten worse for cryptocurrency prices. Should I feel sorry for people that got into that. I advise you not to get into that. In the ice department, I mean ice hockey. Should that be the sports department? 
They're down to two teams for the Stanley Cup final. They are the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. Lightning Avalanche. Two natural phenomena, some might say. Something like disasters. I want to wish those teams good luck, both of them. I hope they both win, but of course they cannot both win. And I want to say that when I personally first became aware of the sport of ice hockey, those teams did not exist. The NHL expanded. And then my hometown of Atlanta got a team and lost that team, got another team, and lost that team. The Flames moved to Calgary, and the Thrashers became something else and are located in Canada. But you're not going to get a ticket to go to a hockey game by using your cryptocurrency, I dare say. I want to thank you for listening to this rock of mockery. Old Patrick does it. Old Patrick says we, me and Rocky, are going on a little vacation to the USA. Our home base is Shizuoka, Japan. So we're going to take three or four weeks off at the end of July and the beginning of August. So I'm going to do... I don't know, six or eight more before then, and then hope that people will, without using crypto, people will buy into, into uh, what we're doing here. Become one of our patrons via Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot C-O-M slash R-O-C-K-S-O-F-M-O-C-K-E-R-Y. Did I say it slowly enough? Did you have your pencils and papers ready? I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. I hope so.